Hi, this is Alan Arnold, and you're listening to the Ransomed Heart Podcast. As the producer of our podcast, one of my main goals is to always have a fresh weekly conversation. And that's year in, year out, every Monday. But occasionally there's a reason to do something a little bit different. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about today. We are going to air a series, a conversation between John Eldridge and Craig McConnell that originally aired in early 2014. The series is on reinterpreting our lives, seeing our lives in a fresh way to help us interpret the internal chaos, the relational issues that we face, unanswered prayers, our dreams and desires. And I really believe this series will change the way not only you you see your life, but the way you actually go forward in it as you start to interpret things in new ways. The reason we're re-airing it now is in honor of our friend and our ally, Craig McConnell. As most of you long-term listeners know, he passed away last August. And so we're coming up on the one-year mark of his coming into the kingdom. And just at this time of year, as we think about him even more than normal and remember the good times and the wisdom and just his presence, we wanted to share some of that with you. And we could not think of a better series to do it with than this one. So I hope you enjoy this. This is John Eldridge and Craig McConnell from a conversation that originally aired in early 2014. You can't live without an interpretation of life. Question is, is it the right one or a good one? Exactly. And we're all doing it constantly. I mean, every day of your life, you're interpreting the actions or the inactions of God. You're interpreting what people said to you, the way they're acting, their body language. You're interpreting your internal world, how you're feeling, how you're doing, the events of your life, your job, your money, your kids, you know, friendships, just... This is a big one, and we're really excited to get into this because we just sense that God has some really good things for us. John, just two nights ago, I mean, this played out in that uh, I woke up in the middle of the night and I hear this thump, and my heart started racing. I began to sweat, and my immediate interpretation was, someone's breaking into the basement window. And yep. so I'm looking for my war axe and... Uh, <laughs> Your tennis racket. It's <laughs> up they to defend my family, fortune, and domain with. And what it was was the wind blew over a deck chair. Now, if I'd, you know, awoken and thought it was a deck chair, I'd just roll over and go to yep. sleep. As it was, I was adrenalized, yes. in fear. Fear. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you just go, wow, you know, how we interpret such little daily common things has an impact spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally. In every arena, we're doing interpreting. I was enjoying reading in the Gospels last night and just knowing that we were going to talk about this, going back through watching Jesus operate. And if you take this lens back to the Gospels, I mean, Jesus is frequently reinterpreting events, people, actions, God, the scriptures to his followers and rescuing them through reinterpretation. In John chapter 9, there's the story of a man who was born blind and the disciples see him and they ask Jesus, who sinned? 
was it this man or was it his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 time out. Neither of them. That has nothing to do with his blindness. Like, wait a second, what's what's the worldview you're operating from? This mm-hmm. this kind of brutal, you know, A equals B, you right. know. And then there's the fairly famous story from Mark chapter nine about the father and the son and the young boy has a demon and the disciples can't kick it out. And then Jesus steps into the scene and he delivers the boy. And afterwards, the disciples say, oh, like, what was the deal with that? How come we couldn't kick that out? They're asking for interpretation of an event. You know, and Jesus explains, oh, well, in these cases, it only comes out by prayer or some translations by prayer and fasting. He's helping them interpret this particularly difficult situation. Yeah, John, a couple of reflections that I have is, uh, I think it's Jeremiah, it's at 614, where God's rebuking the priests and the prophets, the leaders of Israel, and saying that their primary sin is that they are misdiagnosing the problem with the nation and the people. And he calls them on, you say, peace, peace, but there is no peace. And Mm. he's confronting that. Is that where he says, you treat the wound of my people as though it's not serious? Yeah, yeah. They're misreading their entire context. And God, through his prophet Jeremiah, is confronting them. You know, I read the Sermon on the Mount, and it feels to me like it's Christ giving us examples of how a kingdom interpretation of life is just so different than our natural one. When he says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Blessed are you when that happens? That's not my interpretation. He says, rejoice, be glad, Mm. see how great Mm. your reward in heaven is. Mm. Throughout the sermon, you have heard it said, but I say to you, that internal secret desire you have for a woman, because it hasn't manifested itself into an actual act of adultery, you've used that as a validation of your righteousness. You say, you need to reinterpret, understand your internal world. And what you think holiness is Yes, as well. I mean, he's rocking their world and their interpretation of what God wants and what a good life is. There's that very touching story in Matthew 11. John the Baptist has been put in jail, and he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him, point blank, are you the one? Are you our long-expected Messiah? I love that story because here you have, Jesus says he's the greatest prophet that ever lived, and he needs interpretation. Help me understand you're not quite what I expected. You're not acting quite the way I thought you would. I'm in jail. My life doesn't seem to be bearing this out. Are you? And then Jesus tells the disciples of John, he says, go back and tell John what you see, right? The lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. Go and assure him, yes. So, you know, in his life's sudden turn of events, finds himself in jail, in his expectation of what God would be and 
would act like he needs interpretation. Help me with this. And so that's why we're introducing this whole topic of interpretation. That and the cost of misinterpreting is just, it's just brutal. One of the most painful experiences of my youth was the breakup that I had with my first real girlfriend. And painful because at that very same time in my life, my father's alcoholism had just completely blown my family apart, kind of shattered the family structure. And there was no security, love, affirmation at home. And I found it in this really beautiful, wonderful, life-giving young woman. And we had this great relationship and, you know, first love and all that. You know, I just gave my heart to her. And the breakup and the way she did it was one of the most wounding experiences of my young life. Years later, I was visiting my parents. I'd gone back home for a family visit, and I felt God saying, let's go back, let's go back. I want you to get in the car. I want you to drive back to her neighborhood and park. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't expecting to see her or anything like that. It was more, go back in the memories, go back into the neighborhood, sit here with me. And as I did, you know, tears began to come, and, and then Jesus was able to step in and reinterpret. Mm. And one of the things he said, so simply, he said, John, none of this was your fault. Okay, friends, this is massive. I had been living for two decades, three decades, with guilt, self-reproach, rejection, brokenheartedness because of my interpretation of the event. I mean, the cost of misinterpreting things is just devastating. Yeah, yeah. Two decades, John. I mean, that's amazing. I have a story, several of them as well, but one of them is simply, I remember vividly when my daughters were in their teen years and they were just now looking back, reinterpreting. I didn't understand at the time that a whole lot of just healthy, natural development and appropriate pulling away from mom and dad and developing their own independence as young adults. I didn't see it that way. What I saw was um, kids rebelling, disrespecting me. Uh, having no regard for me as their father, as a parent who loves them. Oh, I remember. You would call me <sighs> from L.A. Yeah. in just anger and distress uh, and fear. Absolutely. I remember writing my journal, can't wait for the day that my daughter sees her murderous heart <laughs> <laughs> in regards to me. And warfare wasn't a category for me. So my interpretation of life, not having a, a warfare worldview, was simply she was acting out these frightening behaviors and she was on the brink of turning into a heroin addict pagan. And I remember having this experience where out of nowhere, I just rebuked the enemy. It was like God imposed himself and I did um, just a naive warfare prayer, and it all lifted. And I realized, oh my gosh, there is an enemy. We live in a world at war, 
that was huge now, interpreting my children's behavior and family issues. You know, there's someone else involved. And it's like it dramatically changed my understanding and my pursuing and going after marriage and family and recognizing who the real enemy is isn't my daughter. It's this this enemy who's out to destroy her, me, and our relationship. Oh, I remember those years, Craig, and the anguish oh. and the pain of the misinterpretation. Yeah. I mean, you thought your family was falling apart. You're losing your daughters. Then you thought you were having a breakdown, yes. right? With all of the internal upheaval and, you know, the cost of the misinterpretation, right? Just hours, months, years. Oh, where that would have taken us, John, I'm sure my daughter and I would be, you know, unreconciled and just I'm an angry, disappointed, controlling, pressuring father, disappointed deeply in my daughters and alienated from them. I just think of where that would have gone mm. had mm. God not given mm. me a new category mm. in, mm. in interpretation of my world. Just this morning in a time of prayer and worship, God took me back to this episode that took place in my early Christian life in this church that I was a part of. And there was a pretty profound betrayal of me that took place by one of the elders in that church. And at the time, gosh, I was young, I was naive, excited, enthusiastic, you know, new believer, and just didn't have Jesus's framework for, you know, be innocent as doves, but be cunning as serpents. Yes. And I just didn't ever really process what took place there. And so I'm just in this kind of morning time of prayer and worship, and Christ takes me back to that event and says, your interpretation of that has actually been hurting you all these years. Mm. I want to reinterpret what took place there. And so, friends, we are bound and captive to our interpretation of the world. And if it's accurate and true in kingdom and God, it's going to be freeing and life. And if it's not, Oh my gosh, the years of unnecessary toil, striving, shame, self-reproach, guilt, anger, rage, unforgiveness, bitterness, you know, just whatever it is, the cost of, of misinterpretation, even the cost of abandoned dreams, mm -hmm. abandoned hopes and desires, plans that, you know, because we misinterpret God, or events or that sort of thing. And so we're going to provide for you as best we can categories and experience in a number of realms, jobs versus dreams and hopes and calling and kind of getting stuck in a place that doesn't feel like mm -hmm. your sweet spot. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about interpreting your internal chaos and how do you interpret your internal world and struggles? Talk about interpreting God mm -hmm. and his silence or unanswered prayers, his actions or seeming inactions. We're going to talk about interpreting disappointments, suffering, hardship. Mm -hmm. It's just a whole realm of really good things we're going to walk into in this series on interpretation. But, I mean, initially, we just want to put out there, gang, this is huge. 
Yes. You are interpreting your world constantly. And when your interpretation is in line with the truth, with God, with what's really going on, it's just very, very different than when it's distorted by any number of things. And probably above all, I think one of the things we're going to continue to say is, ask Jesus. Have you asked Jesus his interpretation of that event, whether it was yesterday's argument with your boss or, you know, 35 years ago, one of your most profound childhood woundings, whatever it may be, you ask Jesus his interpretation. We were in the Tetons for our annual family camping trip there. And we've been doing this trip for 15 years. We've been doing it ever since Luke was four years old. And so I have young men now. Sam's married and we had our daughter-in-law with us, Susie. And and it was a very, very rich time. We didn't know how long we would be able to continue to do these trips. Their lives are going in other directions, grad school, marriage, work, and they are living in other cities now. And and so it felt like a real gift, but I couldn't enjoy it. I couldn't enjoy it because all that I was aware of was it's going to end. It's over. You know, I get seven days with them, but then it's over and they're going to leave again and go off to their lives. And I was just so taken out by the loss. I couldn't enjoy the gift of Mm. it. And it was a gift. I mean, we were having these phenomenally beautiful days and taking these hikes and swimming in these gorgeous lakes. And I mean, there was real richness to it. Finally, about the third day in, I said, Jesus, you got to help me with this. Help me. What do I do with this? And he said, oh, John, he said, all of this ache and all of this longing and all of the beauty that you're experiencing right now and all of the joy This is merely a promise of my kingdom. Yes. Now, friends, that may not mean a lot to you, but in the moment for me, for where I was at, I knew exactly what Jesus was addressing. It took me exactly to what, oh gosh, it was this massive rescue. I was able to enjoy the temporary, knowing that I get it all Mm -hmm. forever. And it just, I mean, in about 30 seconds, it doesn't always work that fast, but suddenly God's reinterpretation of it was, I'm good, I'm fine, I can enter in and join in the laughter and join in the banter. And and then the rest of the week was just pure gift. You know, I had to keep going back to God's interpretation of it for me. Yes. So ask him and in the day-to-day, but also, John, in our illustration, so much of the Ask Him is going back to key moments, times, life-changing events, wounding, anything that's a source of pain, anger, hurt, withdrawal. At some point, to simply ask Christ, Lord, I want to go back, and would you reinterpret that for me? Would you come into that? I mean, current events and as my day unfolds, but also going back and just saying, I mean, you're talking decades of stuff. Oh, and the glorious freedom. Yeah. When we have the interpretation of God. Yeah. Yeah. John, just this morning, I woke up once again, as I have over the last couple of weeks, 
with this sense of just being a child. I mean, the way the way I've woken up has actually been I'm sleeping, I'm with my wife, but I feel like I'm the third person in the bed and then I'm the child and that shouldn't there be an adult here and I'm not that adult and there's been a persistence to this feeling of impotence and childlikeness and immaturity that I didn't know what to do with. And my first instinct was to go after it from a warfare perspective. And certainly the enemy can use something like that to just diminish and to accuse me and so on and so forth. And what was so interesting is I just took these dreams and this kind of sense of waking up into this to God. And because we're talking about interpretation, I just asked him, what's going on there, Lord? What is that? It was so interesting because he just immediately said, it's okay. This is me while you're sleeping, going after some very young places. And I'm going after and ministering and doing some work in untouched areas while you sleep. And you're just kind of waking up from the surgery, feeling some of the effect and the impact of the issues I'm going after. And it was like, ah, okay, okay. You know, this is God at work and he's doing some profound deep healing as I sleep. And I don't need to go to shame, battle mode. Striving. Yeah, I'm a wreck. I'm disqualified for ministry and all of that internal angst. It was Great. Lord, I love when you're doing work subconsciously (laughs) while I'm asleep. Thanks for sparing me. (laughs) So, I mean, again, it's just interpretation. And the fruit of God interpreting that was? Light-hearted gratefulness. Go for it, God. Love you. Yes. How do I cooperate? Is there something I do now aware of this? Craig, what do you do with your internal chaos. I mean, first off, are you even aware of it? Are you, you know, the emotions that come out of nowhere, waking up to feelings, fear, anxiety, just discouragement. Honestly, I've been kind of battling waking up feeling really heavy hearted Hmm. lately. And to be honest, it began to really kind of concern me. It wasn't just a day or two. I mean, it was was weeks of it, just waking up to a heavy-heartedness. And then, you know, after I would get up and kind of go through my morning routine and pray through the daily prayer, you know, about an hour later, I'd be fine. And I'd be great, kind of back to John and actually looking forward to the day. But it was that initial waking up. I'm like, oh, something's going on here internally can't even name. I don't even know what this is, this heavy heartedness. And because it began to carry on, you know, over several weeks, I began to go, whoa, like, is this depression? Mm -hmm. Am I stuffing some core pain, you know, issues, whatever, and I'm actually entering into kind of a period of depression? Like, Like, what is going on in my internal world? Yeah. Yeah, John, I think most of us have some internal feelings, overwhelmed, anxiety, uh, fear, just some need for affirmation, validation. And one of the issues with emotions is simply that because we feel them, we take that as true. 
if they feel unpleasant, we take it as negative, like something is deeply and horribly wrong with me. And pause, 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 pause. Friends, did you hear that? Craig was saying, simply because we feel it, we think it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, how much does that determine most people's experience of their yes, life? It's just, yes. right? I'm not feeling excited today. I must be losing my passion. Or I'm feeling really attracted to this person. You know, wow, there must be something there. Well, actually, no, neither one of those are true. Just because you're feeling it doesn't mean it's reality. Right. Well, you know, as we said, ask him and God, it could be any number of things. Exactly. Your diet, hey, you need to exercise or let that go or, hey, there's something deeper. I mean, it's like yeah. our emotions are great little idiot lights that something is going on, but how in the heck would we know how to determine that? We'll turn to a counselor, a pastor, or friends, which is appropriate, but ultimately for most of us, we kind of leave out God and say, What's going on? What is this emotion, these fears, these anxieties, this overwhelmed feeling that I have? Ask him. Now, this isn't to say that your emotions are not legitimate. Yes. Okay. Emotions are a wonderful gift. They really are. And there's kind of a practice in one section of Christianity that, you know, the more you can deny your emotions, the more spiritual you are. And man, that is not what you get in the Psalms. I mean, my goodness, if you want to take a journey through emotional health, just read the Psalms. Every possible emotion is expressed there and sanctified in Scripture, right? I mean, God is saying, look, your emotions are given as a gift from me. Pay attention to them. There is a time to cry and a time to laugh. Exactly. And sometimes, sometimes our emotional response to our world is absolutely appropriate and perfect. Yes. Okay, it really is. What we're trying to say, though, is that most of the time our emotions are actually the result of interpretation. It's not A equals B. It's A plus B equals C. There's an event, you have an interpretation, and then you have an emotion to it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, just a simple thing of somebody doesn't call you back, Mm -hmm. right? And you go to feeling lonely Mm -hmm. and isolated. Mm -hmm. You go, wait, wait, wait. Did you realize that there was a step that you took in there? You didn't just go from, they didn't call me, I'm feeling bad. You interpreted that. Mm-hmm. There was a middle step of interpretation there. And so while our emotions are a gift from God yes. and a very valuable indication on how we are doing and what's going on, we also want to say they're not the sole barometer of reality. Lots of things affect them. And what we want to try and offer on interpretation is some categories for interpreting your internal chaos, your internal world, the shifting currents that every person experiences in their internal world. Yeah. You know, what's beneath those emotions or maybe causing them, John, that we can understand and then address is much of what I may be feeling is coming from some very young place in me. We all have those young places, those broken places where Craig McConnell at 62 have a seven, eight, and a 12-year-old kind of parts of me 
that when I'm living from that 12-year-old, I'm feeling the things a 12-year-old feels. And it feels really inappropriate to a 62-year-old. Yes. And so you feel guilt, shame, confusion, when in fact it makes total sense. Yes. If what this is is a boy inside. And that interpretation then solicits kind of an invitation to God. Oh, Lord, there's that young place again. Come, bring healing. Yes. Bring hope and joy, bring maturity, I give you this place, versus I'm a schmuck, I'm a mess, that's my bad dog, good Haven't dog. Haven't I gotten yes. past this? Can all you those, believe this? All that stuff. Gang, this is really important. Our young places, one of the categories you use to help interpret your internal world. I was marrying recently college friends of my son's, and He's a great young man. He's in his mid-20s now, super guy, but he was kind of freaking out wedding day. And that's normal groom stuff, and that's all good and fine. And But as we were praying for him and praying over him, I was really moved by Jesus to kind of speak to his heart and say, look, there are some younger places in you right now that don't feel up to this, don't feel adequate to the task. They're not getting married today, okay? The man is, you know, I'll call him Robbie. You know, Robbie the man can handle this. He's ready. He's stepping up. God's in this. But some of the emotions you're feeling right now are just younger places in you feeling totally inadequate to it. And to allow Jesus to interpret that and not say, oh, I'm such a weak man, I'm just not ready to be married. What was I thinking? No, actually, you're perfectly ready, and God's in this, and everything's well. It's just that there are these younger places. And the beauty of the ministry in that prayer time was Jesus simply telling them, you don't have to carry this. Mm -hmm. This is for the older Robbie, right? Mm -hmm. The younger you just gets to be young and gets to be loved by your father. That's so good, John, because... A proper interpretation alters how we feel and the choices we make. Another category is sin. I mean, Galatians just talks about the fruit of the flesh. And those fruits, those qualities, the hopelessness. Anger, jealousy, judgment, rage. Those are strong feelings. And not only the feelings, but those affect us physiologically. I mean, what is the long-term effect of living with anger, rage? jealousy, on relationships, on your health. Mm. And so one category with our emotions is simply, you know, hey, what's the status of my communion and walking with God? And Lord, is there anything in my life that the natural fruit of is these symptoms or these emotions that I'm feeling? Mm. Sin can explain a lot. Just take unforgiveness. If you live with unforgiveness over a long period of time, you're going to be absolutely exhausted, and you're going to lose hope, and you're going to mistrust relationships. If you just take the immediate experience of, man, I'm just exhausted, I feel numb inside, I don't trust people, feel disconnected, I'm just weary. Who is God? You could go, wow, that's my reality, when in fact, you have to go back to, well, actually, Did you realize that you've been carrying unforgiveness for eight years and Mm -hmm. it's taking a toll on you? So our theme will always be ask Jesus. But what we're offering you are some categories as you walk with Jesus to kind of interpreting internal stuff. 
still battle with sin. You know, we believe in the good heart, but that doesn't mean there's no struggle with sin anymore. That's just a huge category. And years ago, Larry Crabb and Dan Allender helped us understand sin. And sin is simply your search for life apart from God. Yeah. You know, and so fear, anger, anxiety, those are often symptoms of I am desperately looking for life. It has nothing to do with God. Therefore, it's uncertain. People are getting in the way. I'm furious at them. It feels so vulnerable. I mean, just being aware of where is my hope set? Where am I looking for life is a really good category to know is sin kind of taking taking away my joy, my hope, my life here because I'm looking for life outside of God. Yeah, I think so much anger and anxiety that we experience hinges on that, just the idolatry of our pursuits. Compulsions even, right? The compulsions that we find ourselves drawn to, pretty good indication that we're looking for life there. I can't live without this, and then all the anxiety that goes with that. I think I want to connect this to another category of simply unresolved emotions. I mentioned that God had taken me back in a prayer and worship time to my interpretation of an event, um, betrayal that took place back in when I first became a Christian at age 19 and joined a church, super excited. This was back in the Jesus movement, pumped for Christ. And, and then this betrayal took place. And I just had no categories for it. But there was this unresolved issue of rejection. Hmm. And then what I began to notice was that current episodes of rejection would like peg the meter. Like they'd elicit this internal response that was way higher than the immediate moment really, frankly, required or was appropriate to. And so God takes me back to show me, look, this unresolved emotional issue, in this case, rejection, it might be loss, it might be fear, whatever. That's adding to your current experience of life and really, frankly, kind of distorting it accelerating it, blowing things out of proportion. And so just the category of unresolved emotional issues, really helpful to go, whoa, Jesus, like, I know that person just said something that was kind of rejecting, but my internal reaction is going bonkers right now. Come into this. Show me why. This doesn't fit that. Show me why, Lord. What's going on here? And simply unresolved emotional issues can create major current chaos for us or distortion of our interpretation of of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another kind of category to think in, John, is uh, I'll use the word misery, (laughs) misery we feel, and what's beneath that. And I think oftentimes the misery, that sense of just life, it seems like I'm misplaced, I'm not fitting in, or something like that. One of my experiences, God was using misery, actually, to move me from one place to another. It was misery that brought me to God going, what is this about? And it was actually one of the quotes in your book, uh, Desire, you know, should not a king in exile 
be miserable and feel miserable. It is his ally. It pushes him, you know, to seek his country. And so there was this option of just staying in misery. And that is my lot. That is my story. That is what I have to cope and find Christ to deal with. My life is going to have a high level of misery when actually, you know, the misery was God pushing me into something different. God could be in it. Yes. And once I begin to address, what are you saying? Where are you taking me? What is going on? Mm -hmm. I realize, oh, the misery dissipated and it turned into, okay, new chapter, new phase. Yes. Hope anticipation, expectation. Yes. Friends, do you hear how important it is to ask Jesus to interpret your internal chaos? These emotions, not just assuming that they're telling you what's true. Now, they're important. We're not denying emotions. We're just saying they need a little interpretation, right? And there's often an emotional reaction to an event because of the way we interpret it inviting Christ in to our interpretation. It might be a young place. It might be unresolved emotional issues from the past. It might be God. It might be sin, right? What is this, Lord? What are the categories that you use other than just, I'm feeling this? Mm -hmm. It just drives me crazy as a counselor how many people feel things and just accept it as their reality, right? Well, this is how I am right now. Well, Was that how you were 24 hours ago? Was that how you were last year at this time? Well, no. Well, let's get some interpretation of this. Your emotions are important. They're telling you something about your life, but it may not be based in reality, right? Or it may just need interpretation for you to move past it. And Craig, you gave a category, and this is going to sound so banal that it's almost dishonoring emotions, but... Friends, can we just talk about like your diet and your exhaustion level? How are you physically? I had a pretty embarrassing moment. I um, I found myself kind of anxious in the evening. The house was quiet. Stacy was doing something. The basketball game I was watching was over. So I wasn't preoccupied by anything, suddenly aware of my internal state of being. And I found myself kind of anxious. And I'm like, whoa, Jesus, Like, I feel anxious. What's this anxiousness about? And he just kind of casually says, do you remember how much caffeine you had earlier? (laughs) (laughs) I I just went, oh my goodness. Right. Oops. You know, I kind of overdid it on some tea that I was drinking, had several cups, got a little high on caffeine and found myself anxious an hour later. Nothing to do with warfare, nothing to do with brokenness, right? So, I mean, friends, this really does need to be a category. If you run yourself like a racehorse and then you struggle with issues of anxiety or depression, you know, if you eat horribly, Right. And then you struggle with, you know, just episodic emotional roller coasters. Hey, that's not wounds. That's not brokenness. That's not sin. Yeah. I don't know if there's a correlation here, but since you brought up eating, I'm just aware of how there's this just part of us, John, or me to be specific, that almost doesn't want to submit to God's interpretation. There's some parts in life I'm not sure. I'm open to his interpretation, or I want to hear, get his input. I'm fine with mine, even though it may 
have me paralyzed, stuck in misery, or feeling, you know, just always tired or anxious or angry or depressed. There's this this part that in all this and asking God, it assumes a submission to him, like, Lord, I'm asking, I'm willing to hear whatever you say. And the reason we don't? Ask him? Yeah. What's that pushback? What's that, no, I want to stay in this emotion. No, what is that about humanity? Yeah. Yeah, we find these comfort zones, even in misery and depression. It actually gives some clarity. You know, I'm depressed because. Now, it's a misinterpretation, but it explains things, and we're fine with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Rather than risking, I may have to give up this unforgiveness. Rather than risking... I am looking for life in a way that God's not providing it, and I don't want to hear him say that. I don't want to hear him say he's not providing that right now, right? So I'd rather stay in the anxiety versus get to the real issue beneath it, which is my search for life without God. Mm. I don't want to change. I don't want to let go of this anger at this person. So, you know, I'm living in an angry place, but frankly, I, I kind of like it. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. But why don't we ask Jesus more? Lord, interpret this for me. Emotions are legitimate. Mm-hmm. Your internal world is vital. Yes. It's really important. But it may not be based in God's interpretation of things. Ask him, Lord, what, what is this? Is this brokenness that needs healing? Is this a warfare assault? Lord, is this just a young place in me that needs love? Is this rooted in my lifestyle? I'm just utterly exhausted all the time. and That's why I'm discouraged down. Lord, help me here. Show me what's going on with my internal world. Interpret this for me. You've been listening to John Eldridge and Craig McConnell discussing how to reinterpret our lives. I'm Alan Arnold. I want to thank you for listening and invite you back next week for part two of this series.